turn around, turn around and say good morning to a couple of folks. Don't sit down. Don't sit down yet because we're about to pray. Stay standing because we're about to pray. Pastor Jason told you last week um, that our children's music director, Stacy Coffey, has, uh, she had to have emergency surgery uh, probably about a month ago now. And uh, she was home from the hospital and now she's had some infection problems and she's been back in the hospital. She's just had a really, really hard time of it. And so Amanda Henson is going to stand in and we're going to pray uh, for Stacy. So Amanda, I, know I can't spot you right there, she is. Uh, she's going to come up front, and if you want to gather around her, I would just give you warning to be careful of the communion table. Try not to bump into that. But uh, we're going to come around her, and we're going to pray over Amanda as she stands in for Stacy, that God would bring healing and God would bring peace to her body and to her family. It's been a cr tough Christmas time for that family. And so if you're willing to come and just lay hands on Amanda, stand in as support, we're going to pray together for the service and also for Stacy and uh, for healing. Do you believe that God still heals? You know, there are churches and there are movements that believe that God doesn't heal anymore, and I just think they're wrong. I think God still heals. I believe He is the divine healer, and I believe prayer is something that opens the door to that. And so we're going to pray in faith this morning that God is going to touch Stacy. I, I would ask you pray for my wife. Her uh, back went out Friday. She's not able to be here this morning. Um, she's uh, doing a little bit better than she was Friday, but pray for her. She's not here, and uh, just a couple of our kids are here with us today. And so uh, I'm, I know there's a lot of folks that have a lot of needs, illnesses, injuries, other things going on, and we believe that God cares about all those things. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you that although December 25th has moved behind us in the calendar year, God, that we still praise you, we still celebrate the coming of Jesus into this world. But God, we have moved into that time of year where now we look forward to the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. As my son said to me very recently, Dad, really Christmas is all about Easter, and it's so true. Jesus came knowing he would have to die, knowing he would have to lay down his life for us to be a ransom for all of us, God. And we thank you so much that he was willing to do that. And we thank you that his death, burial, and resurrection ushered in a new age. It ushered in uh, a, a new kingdom. And God, we thank you so much that we can live in a eager expectation of the full dawning of that kingdom. And God, we believe that right now you heal and you bless and you touch, and that gives us a little insight, a little foretaste of that kingdom that's coming. And so, God, we pray right now for Stacy Coffey, who has been so faithful uh, since she and her family came into our church to be part of our worship team, to work with our kids uh, two or three times a year for music. And, and, Lord, we just pray that you would touch her. She wants to be here. She wanted to be part of the kids' Uh, singing this Christmas, and that was not able to happen. But God, we pray that you would go right where she is right now. Any infection, any problems that are coming against her, God, we pray that you would drive that out of her body. She would be touched 
she would be healed. And Father, we pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we pray it in faith, expecting and believing that you're going to do great things. God, we thank you that through Jesus we can have ultimate healing. Lord, we know that unless you return, we're all going to go the way of the grave one day. We all know that uh, our life on this earth will come to an end. But the good news is that that is not the end if we're in Jesus Christ. We can have eternal life in him. And so we pray for healing in the here and now. We pray for those who, who may be part of our fellowship or may be uh, connected to our fellowship, God, that are maybe facing dire situations where even death could be an issue, God. And we just pray that you would let them know Jesus as their Savior and let them know that there's eternal life to be found and they can rest in that. We thank you so much, God, that you are present with us today. We thank you for the good worship that we have experienced today. I pray that you would be in everything that's done, everything that's said. God, as we take the Lord's Supper together, I pray that you would be strong and mighty in that. And it would not be just a dead symbol, but it would be a grace to our hearts to live and to be strong for you. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray that he would be the chief minister here today. And we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray all of these things. And Rushwood said together, Amen. Thank you for praying with us this morning. You may be seated. Well, Happy New Year to everybody. A couple of days early. I hope you're looking forward to 2019. I've said this a couple of times. I hope you're not tired of me saying it, but I just can't believe how fast this year went. It seems like it was just January, and it was so cold last year, and there were pipes bursting in our walls and all sorts of things going on, and that seems like that was just yesterday, and here we are going into a new year yet again, and God has been faithful all year long. God has been faithful, and God has been good. There have been trials. There have been temptations. There have been all sorts of things that have gone on, but God has brought us through every storm. He's raised us up, and he's set us on a firm rock, and God is blessing us. I talked to our board a couple of weeks ago uh, about where they thought our church was and what one word they would use to describe our church and the place we are at this point, and one of our board members said potential. And I think that is an ultimate, that's a great way to put it. I believe that we have so much potential in this church right now to reach the lost, to reach new people for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I pray that that's what would happen during 2019, that we would see that happen more and more. And I've shared with you that basically I'm looking at 2019. We're not going to preach through a book of the Bible this year. I've done that for the last two years, and I love that method, and I think that's been good for us. And I was going to preach through the book of Hebrews, but God laid on my heart not to go that direction, uh, which really kind of surprised me. And the direction that's on my heart is to give you all the very basic principles, the basic things that we all need to know to live the Christian life. And you might say, well, Brent, I have been walking with the Lord for 50 years. Why, why do I need to know the basic principles? But it's good to be reminded. It's good to have things shared in a new way where maybe you can turn around and share it with people who really need to know it and maybe are hearing it for the first time. And so I'm praying, I think this will be an excellent year for people who um, maybe are new to the faith or maybe are just checking out Christianity, checking out the faith. I think it'll be a great year for them to come and be part of our church and really get grounded and really be set on a firm foundation. And so that's where we're heading 
as far as 2019. Pray for me. Pray for wisdom. I plan everything out ahead of time. I'm a planner. I'm somebody who likes to do a lot of calendar work and have everything in its spot and know what I'm going to be doing. But I don't want to be so much like that if the Holy Spirit pivots in the middle of everything that I can't follow him, okay? I don't want to be so tied in. So pray for me for wisdom. Pray for the church. Pray for sermons and sermon series that are coming up. And I believe 2019 is just going to be an amazing year among us at this church. Well, question, and you probably knew this question was coming on the last Sunday of the year. How many of you have gone ahead and decided what your New Year's resolution is going to be? Just by a show of hands, how many of you are making a New Year's resolution? Some of y'all like this, like y'all don't even want to admit it, okay? Some of you are raising your hands. Some of you are like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. It's not going to work out. Well, I wanted to give you guys some statistics on New Year's resolutions this morning. I, I don't know if it'll be fun for you, but it'll be fun for me. Give you some of these statistics. Did you know that 45% of Americans make a New Year's resolution? So a little less than half. I would have thought it would have been more than that. But 45% of Americans make a New Year's resolution. The most common resolution is to get more exercise. 37% of all resolutions made are that one, to get more exercise. My wife and I just bought a new elliptical trainer in our house. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm kind of scared to get on it. But, anyway, we, we have it there, and it's, there's potential there. Like, the word of the day is potential. We have potential to actually do that. 22% of New Year's resolutions fail after a week. Wow, way to stick it out there, guys, 22%, almost a quarter. 40% after a month, and 50% after three months. 60% fail after six months. And I'm thinking, if you make it to six months, why don't you just keep rolling? If you've made it that long, I mean, you're doing pretty good, but 60% after six months are done. Of those who achieved their resolutions, 60% were successful on the first try, and 17% of those that achieved their New Year's resolutions took as much as six tries to get the job done. And that's what's great about things. There's always another New Year coming up, and if you mess up, you can try again for 2020. But I don't know about New Year's resolutions. Some people like to make them. Some folks don't. But in our church, God has laid on my heart something that I wanted us to do for a New Year's resolution. So today I'm about to give you the New Year's resolution of Rushwood Church. One of the things that I think is so important, and I think it has been so missing in the American church uh, over the last 20, 30, 40 years or so, is prayer. I feel like as church people, we do not pray enough. I think we are not excited about prayer. I think we do everything else. We, in fact, you may have seen advertised that we're going to tell you about a new program at our church today. And I don't want to use that term program. I think sometimes we are programmed to death in church already, and that's why we're not as efficient and we're not as successful as we need to be. When I was teaching, we used to go to staff development. Anybody, anybody in here a teacher? If you're a teacher, raise your hand. And we used to have to go to staff development meetings. And we hated staff development meetings. In fact, we turned into, me and the guys I worked with, we turned into kind of teenage guys. We would sit at the back of the staff development meeting and we'd just kind of make fun of everything that went on in the staff development meeting. But we had one teacher who was almost to retirement and I'll never forget one day he looked over at us and he said, boys, I have been staff developed to death. And that's how we all kind of felt about it. Well, I think in programs in church, we have been programmed to death. 
So I don't want to give you another program. Programs come, programs go. If they work, we make idols out of them. I mean, programs can be a bad thing. So we're not going to call this a program. We're going to call this an initiative. But the program or initiative that we're going to start here is called Pray Together 123. Pray Together 123. And it's a very, very simple, at least I think it's a simple idea. John Wesley, when he started his movement, he had three tiers of discipleship that he did. The first tier of discipleship was basically big groups where people would get together in a big group and they would study God's word together and they would learn more about God's word and, and it was almost an intellectual type group that he had and so he had those built into his movement. And then he had smaller groups that would, were somewhere about 10 to 12 people. We're about to get into that in February. We're going to start up our small groups. We call them life groups. We're going to start up those again and I really hope that you will join a life group when those start back in February. I will say very honestly that the people we have seen the most growth, spiritual growth in, in our church are not just those who come on Sunday mornings, uh, but they're actually those who are part of our life groups on Wednesday nights. We have seen great change in them. We've seen great growth in them. And what we're going to do starting in February is a lot of community activity, a lot of getting outside the four walls of the church and being involved, being salt and light in this world. And so I'm encouraging you to be part of one of our small groups, be part of our life groups when they start back up in February. By the way, between now and then, we don't have anything on Wednesday nights here. We give our children's workers a break. We give other folks that are doing work on Wednesday nights a little break, but we will start back up in February. So that's kind of middle-sized groups. But Wesley and his movement also had very small groups, and those groups were groups of two or three people. And they were there to, to hold each other accountable, to help each other grow, but most of all to pray for each other, to pray for their shortcomings, to love on each other, and just to be there for each other. And that's one of the reasons we're starting this Pray Together 123 initiative or movement is so that we can have that small intimate setting where we really can trust each other, know each other, and pray for each other. So here's what it would look like. You're going to get together, and we're not going to be heavy-handed about this. We're not going to try to force you into this. We're just basically presenting this and saying, well, this is something we would like for you to do that we think would help our church and would help you as an individual Christian, as an individual believer. But the way this would look like is you get together with one or two of your friends from this church, and you say, once a week we're going to meet, I don't know, we're going to meet at Biscuitville at 6.30 on Thursday morning. And we're going to eat a biscuit and we're going to share some of our concerns and we're going to pray for each other and then we're going to go on to work and go about our day. We don't want you to take more than 30 minutes. This is not something that should take a really long time, but it is something that we want you to do once a week, get together, one or two other believers, guys with guys, ladies with ladies, and pray together once a week. And you say, Brent, that seems awful simplistic. I'm not sure that's going to make a whole lot of change. Well, if you think that, you don't believe in prayer enough. Because prayer changes things and prayer changes people. I had a couple several years ago who came to me and they said, Look, Brent, I want you to know we're getting a divorce. It's gone to that point in our marriage. We, we're going to get a divorce. We're, we're done. We're over. You know, uh, there was hints of infidelity or whatever. We're just through. We're just coming to you to see if there's anything you can tell us to do that might possibly turn our marriage around. So I counseled them. I said, well, every day I want you to get together and I want you to read the Bible together and I want you to pray together as a couple for one month. And after one month, I want you to come back and I want you to tell me how things have gone. So they got together and they, they read the Bible together and they prayed together for one month. After a month, they came back for their second session and they said, our marriage is fixed. 
everything's good. I mean, they said, we, we laughed at you when you said, prayed and read the Bible together and it would fix things. But our marriage is good. Our marriage is fixed. We're stronger than we've ever been as a couple. Why? Because they read the Bible together and they prayed together. There's power in prayer, y'all. And so this is just something very simple. We want you, we're going to have, uh, probably starting next week, we're going to have a sign-up sheet in the back. If you want a prayer partner and you don't have a prayer partner, we're going to have a way that you can know who needs a prayer partner and know what opportunities are out there. But get together with other folks in this church. Set up a prayer time once a week, 30 minutes, in groups of two or three. So where the one, two, three comes in is it's once a week, two to three people praying together. So that's our initiative. That's our New Year's resolution. Try it for one year. Try it for one year. Make it a priority. Make it a part of your life for one year and just see what God does. I believe if you will do this for a full year, then after that year, we won't have to sell you on it. You'll want to do it. And so I've already started to talk to a couple of guys who are going to be my partner every week. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. And so I've already talked to them. We're going to get into that. And we're going to try to start probably this week getting together for prayer. So can we do that? Can we make that a part of what we do and a part of this church? Yeah, give God some praise. I think, I think that'll be an amazing, amazing thing for us. And by the way, what I said just there is probably more important than my sermon today. That's probably important, uh, more important than what I'm going to talk to you about for the rest of the day. Oh, and by the way, as you leave, we do have a t-shirt just to remind you of the Pray Together 1-2-3 movement. So if we've got one in your size, first come, first serve, on your way out, that's free to you from the church as a gift to you. Pick up one of those t-shirts and just be reminded that we want you to pray together at least once a week in groups of two or three. Well, you should have received a sheet on your way in. The sheet says at the top, 19 encouraging words for 2019. 19, I want you to go ahead and grab hold of that uh, if you have that, if you got that on the way in. If not, you can grab one on the way out today. Next week, we start a new series, and that series is going to be called Why I Believe. Why I Believe. I think one of the big problems in church is that we don't know why we believe what we believe. We say we believe the Bible. We say we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We say we believe, some of us say we believe in holiness and other things like that, but we don't know why we believe it. And so when we're talking to people who are skeptical or maybe people who are interested in knowing about God, we don't know how to articulate it, and a lot of times that leaves them wanting and that leaves them still in the dark. So what I want to give you over the next few weeks, actually over the next couple of months, is some really good intellectual but also heart stuff that you can share with people to let them know why we believe what we believe. That starts next week. My first four messages I'm going to bring to you are number one, why I believe in God. Atheism, skepticism is one of the fastest rising portions of the American population as far as religion goes or non-religion goes. And so we need to know why we believe in God. I'm going to try to give you four good reasons to believe in God. Number two, I'm going to tell you for the second week why I believe in Jesus Christ. Because there's a lot of people out there who believe in God, but I don't just believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I want you to be able to know and understand and articulate why you believe in Jesus Christ. Third week, we're going to talk about why we believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. Why we believe in his crucifixion, why we believe in that event which was the central event of, of human history. And then the fourth week, I'm going to tell you why I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And that's just the first month. So I hope that you'll be here. Maybe you'll invite some people who've 
maybe are undecided. They're spiritually unresolved. They don't know if they're a Christian or not. They don't, they don't know where they fit in in the whole scheme of things. And so invite them, maybe share the messages online with folks. I think this is going to be a really good introduction to faith, clearing out some of the mental hurdles, some of the philosophical hurdles to faith, and allowing people to get that stuff out of the way so they can make a decision for Jesus and they can believe in him. So we're going we're gonna to start that next week. But we had a kind of a week. We finished up the book of Ephesians last week. We're starting this new series next week. And on the week in between, I kind of asked God, God, what would you like me to do for the people in our church? What would you like for me to share with the people in our church? And what I heard back, what I think I sensed in my spirit and what God was saying to me was encourage the people of your church. Encourage people as they go into this new year. How many of you have needed encouragement over the last year? Anybody got to a point where you needed somebody just to come along and say, hey, it'll be all right. Hey, you can make it. Hey, you can do it. Oftentimes we need encouragement. I saw one of my friends on Facebook, they posted something I thought was so true. They said, even those of us who are encouragers sometimes need encouragement. Even those of us who are the ones coaching everybody and saying, come on, you can do it. You can make it. God's got this. Even those of us who do that, we need encouragement from time to time. We all need encouragement. So what I wanted to give you today is 19 encouraging words for 2019. And i got to move fast because a 19-point sermon, that's long, y'all. And we still got to take communion and get y'all out of here at a decent time. So we'll move fast, okay? Don't think I'm going to preach very long on each of these points. But I would also encourage you, that's another one of our words of the day, I would encourage you to take this home, put it up on your refrigerator, put it on a mirror, put it somewhere, because sometime during this year you're probably going to need this. Sometime during this year you're probably going to need a reference back to God's Word and what God's Word says to encourage you. So I, I, I took my time to make this for you with you in mind, so I hope that this will be a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll hold on to it. 19 encouraging words. Let's take these one by one. By the way, all these scriptures I'm going to read this morning are in the New Living Translation. I know there's folks out there who don't agree with me, but I would encourage you to find a Bible you can read. Find a Bible you can understand. I love the King James Version. It is a beautiful version. It's a beautiful, wonderful translation. But a lot of people struggle with the language of it. And we could get into how the Bible was, how translations happen and everything like that. Get you a good, well-translated form of the Bible where you can read it and you can understand it. You're going to do a whole lot better than that than struggling with something you can't understand. And I know people are out there that disagree with me on that, but they don't, they don't have to be right on everything. All right. Joshua, Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 is the first scripture I want us to look for. And this applies when we are afraid. Fear is, man, fear is crippling. I don't know if you've heard the song that's been on the radio lately, Fear is a Liar. But fear is a liar. Fear can cripple you. Fear can keep you from doing what God has called you to do in your life. And so when you're afraid, God's word promises us that God will make us strong and courageous if we just submit to him. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 as they were going in to take the land that God had already given them. Joshua 1 9 says, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, that could be the valley of the shadow of death. That can be into enemy territory. That can be through the storm and through hardships. Wherever you go, the Lord your God is with you. He's there beside of you so you don't have to be afraid. 
gives me the image of the disciples in the boat when the winds and waves were breaking over the boat and they looked and Jesus was asleep. And they turn around and look at him, Lord, don't you care if we drown? Jesus gets up and says, look, be quiet. Be quiet. Quit messing with my guys. Quit messing with the ministry. Just be quiet. Be done. And immediately the winds and the waves were calm. God is there with you. They didn't know that Jesus was with them. He looked like he was asleep, but he was ready to speak peace to their situation. So you can be courageous. And by the way, y'all, we are in a day and time where we need courage more than we have ever needed it. There are people out there, there are movements out there that hate the church. They hate the true message of Jesus Christ. And they hate those of us who are part of that. And so we have to be courageous to take them on. We have, we have to be courageous to stand up to the world that is coming against us. Be strong and courageous. When you're afraid, God will make you have good courage. Number two, when we are in need, God will meet all our needs through Jesus. Philippians 4.19 says, The same God who takes care of me, this is Paul writing, The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus had, God has everything that he needs. He has glorious riches. He has everything you need to be blessed. He has everything he needs to provide for you. Now it doesn't say God will supply all your wants. It says God will supply how many of your needs? All your needs. Whatever you need, he has it to supply. And he's a good, good father, so he is willing to supply that for you and bless you with everything you need. I talk to folks oftentimes, and they, they struggle financially. A loss of a job, a, a, an illness that comes into the family, whatever that goes on, and all of a sudden they go from everything being okay to struggling. I just want you to know if you're in that boat, God will supply all your needs. He will find a way to supply all your needs, and we can trust him for that as we go into the new year. Verse 3 that I want us to look at, the third verse. When we are tired and burdened, God will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Pastor Jason was picking at you a little bit this morning about being tired as we came in, but I think a lot of us are probably tired as we've had family celebrations and everything with Christmas, and maybe we've worn ourselves out in all the hustle and bustle that goes on, and that's one type of tired. But there's another type of tired where we're just weary of life. We're tired of life. We're tired of the hardship of it all. We're tired of the pain of all of it. It seems like every time we try to, we, we get ahead, all of a sudden something hits us and we take three steps back after we've taken two steps forward and it can just wear you out and it can make you weary and you can just say, I want to give up. And Jesus says, look, if that's you today, if you're in that boat, you just want to give up, you're tired of it all, come to me and I will give you rest. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that ultimately Jesus not only will give us rest, he is our rest. We can rest in him. We can, and rest is not just, it's deeper than just not being tired. It's deeper than not just not being weary. It's almost a total just laying back and just relaxing and just trusting him, knowing that he has everything under control, knowing that there is peace that passes all understanding in him. This year, I pray that God gives us rest when we need rest. I pray that we can enter in and know Jesus in such a way that we have rest, true rest in our lives. Number four, I think this one's for a lot of folks. When we're anxious, 
God will carry our anxiety because he cares for us. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. That was one of the first tricks of the devil. In fact, that was the first lie given in the Bible is when Satan came and basically told the folks there, Adam and Eve, look, God's holding out on you. God's not giving you. If, if you'll just eat of this tree, if you'll eat of this fruit, then you'll know good and evil and everything. Uh, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil, and God's holding out on you because he really doesn't care about you. And that's a trick that Satan still would like to perform on us, to get us to believe that God really doesn't care about us. But he really does. God really does care for you. We can't always see how he's caring for us. We can't always understand his ways. But God does care for us. And we can cast all our worries and we can cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. We can rest and we can trust him and we can believe that he wants what's best for us. Even if it doesn't look that way, he wants what's best for us. Number five, when we're under attack, God can be our refuge in troubled times. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in Him. The name of God is a mighty tower. We run into it and we're safe. We're safe from whatever's coming against us. We're safe from any enemy that is out there. God will be our protection. He will be our refuge when trouble comes. There's probably going to be trouble in 2019. Amen? You're probably going to have some things that are difficult. You're probably going to have some things that you have to go through. But God will be your refuge and He will be your protection if you just surrender to Him and if you will let it come out of your hands and be placed into his hands. Number five is very, uh, number six is very close to that. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed. And when we're overwhelmed, God will sustain us and he will keep us steady. Psalm chapter 55 verse 22 says, Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. I don't know about you, I can handle one thing that goes wrong. A lot of times I can handle a couple of things that go wrong, but when four or five things start happening at once and they're all bad and I have to deal with all of them, that becomes overwhelming. And I have the kind of personality, I like everything to be kind of lined up and right and proper and, and it has to be just so-so and that overwhelms me. When I get to that sort of point, I have to let God be my sustenance. I have to let Him keep me steady because otherwise I will just totally fall apart. But Psalm 55 here tells us he will not permit us to slip and fall. He will not permit us to go down and be destroyed. He will take care of us even when things start to overwhelm us. Number seven, when we're confused, God will be our direction. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. You might know this by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I'm also a person who likes to know where I'm going before I get there. I like to know what's going to happen next. I like to know the end uh, before we get there. And, you know, the only person who really knows the end of things before we get there is God. And so I find that I have to trust in him. I have to trust that he's going to show me the right path to go down. Sometimes there's two decisions that have to be made, and they either e look equally good or equally bad, and I don't know which one to take, and I don't have that sort of wisdom. And that, that's when I have to say, God, show me. God, tell me. God, God, reveal to me something that I couldn't know on my own. And he gives me the right path. And he'll do that for you as well. Number eight, when we're sick, God will be our savior and our healer. 
This morning we heard already about some that are in this congregation who are going through sickness, who are going through pain, going through problems. And, you know, we know and we understand that ultimately we're going to be healed uh, for eternal life. We have eternal life and we will enter into eternal life when we pass from this world. And that's the ultimate healing that's going to happen. But sometimes problems in your body can affect your spirit and they can affect everything else. And God can heal you. He can bring healing to you. Let's read the verse, Jeremiah 17, 14 says, O Lord, if you heal me, I will be truly healed. If you save me, I will be truly saved. My praises are for you alone. I love the medical community. I'm, we're so blessed to have the medical community. They have looked at this world that God ordered in a proper way and in a good way, and they've been able to figure out ways that can heal people and help people to feel better and help them overcome illnesses. But at the end of the day, I don't praise my doctor as much as I praise God because God is the one that ultimately give me, gives me healing. Either through their hand or through divine healing, through a supernatural touch, God is the one that brings healing to us. And God, will, if you're struggling with sickness, God will be your Savior and He will be your healer if you will put your trust in Him. The forgotten. Have you ever feel, felt like you were forgotten? Have you ever felt like nobody cares about you anymore? The people who used to be your friends aren't your friends anymore. You're just not close to anybody. You feel like an outcast. You feel forgotten. Well, when we feel that, there's a wonderful, wonderful promise in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 16. It was originally to God's people Israel, but now I think it's a promise for us as well. And God says, see, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. I don't know how many of you know Pastor Jason, our executive pastor, very well, but he doesn't put things in his phone. He writes stuff on his hands all the time. He says, oh, I need to remember that, and he'll write it on his hands. Sometimes he's got three or four things on his hands so he can remember what he needs to do for the church or for whatever else. God is that way, and he's written your name on the palm of his hands. He's written your name. He cares about you. He's not going to forget you. He's not going to forsake you. You're right there. You're ever before him because he loves you and he cares for you. If you think that God has forgotten you, doesn't care about you, does not, is not concerned about your plight, you're wrong. God loves you and forever your name is written on the palms of his hands. And if we apply that to Jesus, then Jesus' hands were actually pierced for you. Actually pierced for you because he loved you so much. Next verse, when we feel weak, God will be our strength and our defender. Psalm 118 and verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Sometimes we just need a good win. Sometimes we just need a good win. Sometimes we just need something to go right in our lives. I'm a Carolina Panthers fan, and right now they just need a good win. But the season's basically over. So they probably need to lose, so that's probably not even a good, so they get a better draft pick. Probably not even a good illustration there. But sometimes you just feel like, I've lost so much, I just need a good win. And I pray that if you need a win in your life, God will give you one. He's already given you the victory in Jesus Christ. You've already won the ultimate thing that you need to win is victory and eternal life in Him. But some of you just in this life, you're struggling. It seems like everything is going wrong, and I just pray God will give you a win. God will give you some victory. God will give you something to make you excited again. God will bless you in some way and encourage you in some way. And he does that ultimately through Jesus Christ. When we're weak, when we feel like we don't have the strength to go on, he can, I pray God will give you the victory. When we're close to quitting, 
pray that God will give you a harvest for your labor. Galatians 6, 9 says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. How many people, the win was right around the corner. The victory was right around the corner, and they gave up just a little bit too soon. Just a little bit too soon. You've heard probably about Thomas Edison and the light bulb, and how many times he had to try to develop that and, and, and try to get it right. Um, so many times, and finally it came through, and finally it worked out. Sometimes we just give up a little too soon. Let's not give up because there's a harvest there for our labor if we'll keep working, if we'll keep trusting, if we'll keep moving forward. And by the way, sometimes in your life, all you can do is just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Nothing seems to be working out. Nothing seems to be going right. Stay faithful. Stay moving forward. And God, eventually, you're going to see that harvest come. You're going to see what God has for you. Number 12, when we feel like a loser, God will make us the head and not the tail. Some of you got that Eeyore complex. You remember Eeyore from, from Winnie the Pooh and all that stuff, which I, I didn't watch too much as a kid, but just a little bit. Everybody knows Eeyore, though. You remember he's just, oh, bother, everything's terrible. Some of you have that sort of complex, and you feel like you're just a loser, and you feel like God's not going to ever do anything with you. I was talking to a guy just the other day. He said, I just don't think it's meant for me to be happy. I don't think God wants me to be happy. Get rid of that stinking thinking. God wants to do something with you. God wants to use you in a mighty way, a, a mightier way than you ever thought was possible. God wants to make you the head and not the tail. Deuteronomy 28, 13 says, If you listen to these commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today, if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will always be on top and never at the bottom. God is not against you. He wants to bless you. He wants to use you, not for yourself, but for his glory, for his kingdom, and to bless other folks. Number 13, when you feel like you're messing up. Anybody ever just feel like you messed up? Like you just ruined it all? Like, like you just, yeah, there's no coming back from what you've done? When we feel like we've messed up, God will be ever faithful and merciful. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23 says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. If you feel like you've messed up, the good news is God allows you turns. He allows you to repent. He allows you to head back the other way, and he'll bless you, and he'll clean you up, and he'll reestablish you. If you'll just repent, and if you'll just turn back his way, he will make everything new, and his mercies are made new every morning. Number 14, when you feel hopeless, God will fill you with joy, peace, and power. Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of all hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't live without hope as human beings. We have to have hope. We can live for a little while without water. We can live for several days without food, but we cannot live without hope. We have to have hope. It's so tragic to hear during the holidays people who have run out of hope and you hear around the holiday season of people who have taken their own lives. They ran out of hope somewhere. They didn't believe there was any hope for the future. But I'm here to tell you, if you ever get in that situation, if you ever feel like there's no hope and this life just needs to be ended, remember Jesus Christ is still on the throne. And if Jesus is on the throne, there is always, always, always hope. Place your hope in him. Trust in him. There is hope. We can have confident hope through him. When you've been hurt by life, I hear people sometimes say they have church hurt. 
Church hurts bad. It's bad when you've been hurt in church. It's supposed to be a safe place. It's supposed to be a good place. And some of the people who have church hurt, church hurt have church hurt because they did something stupid to themselves. And some people who have church hurt, it's because people have legitimately hurt them. But if you have hurt in your life, not just in church, but in all areas of your life, and I know this is a verse we throw around a lot, but it's still true. It's still God's word. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Look, God can take the worst thing in your life and make it into the best thing. He's that powerful. You can't do it. I can't do it, but God can do it. He can take the worst thing. He can take what Satan meant for evil against you, and God can work it around to your good. And he does it all the time. I hear people's testimonies of how God has done that all the time in their lives. Something terrible happened, but God turned it around and made it the very best thing in their life. God is there. He's behind the scenes. He's working. You might not be able to see him, but he's there working on your behalf to work all things to the good. Number 16, when you feel defeated, when you feel like it's over, your enemies have overcome you. By the way, if you have, some people say, I don't, have, I don't know if I have an enemy in the world. I know I have some enemies in this world. I know there's some people who don't like me. I know there's some people who don't like my ministry. I understand all of that. But you know why I have enemies in this world? I've done something for God. At least I've tried to do something for God. And if you try to do something, there are going to be people who don't like it and they come against you. Well, bless their hearts, I'm never going to be defeated by them because my God is greater. My God is greater. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 4 says, For the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies, and he will give you victory. I know my ultimate enemy is not people. My ultimate enemy is not flesh and blood. It's Satan. But boy, he sure uses some people good sometimes. And I'm just here to tell you, if you, I'm going to look in the camera. If you don't like me and you don't like my ministry, I hate to tell you, God is on our side. God loves us. He wants us to succeed. So as we say in the South, bless your heart. Bless your heart. When you feel jaded, when you feel like you're just cynical and nothing is good and you're just negative about everything, I pray that God will remind you that it will be worth it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58 says, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Wow, that's great. When it seems like you've wasted your time, when it seems like God didn't bless it, when it seems like it didn't go the way that it was supposed to, sometimes around here I say we run at 75% of what we should. We'll do an event, and I say 75% of the people who should have showed up, showed up. Or 75% of whatever. And it, sometimes it just feels like you never quite get there. But everything you do for God, he will use it. Not one drop will be wasted. He will make sure that the, his word does not return void. He will make sure that your efforts do not return void. When you're facing death, when you're facing death, God will give you victory over the grave. John chapter 11 verse 26 says, Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus looked at one that had trouble sometimes believing. He said, Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? How many of you lost somebody that was close to you in the year 2018? Anybody just raising your hand say, I lost somebody that meant a lot to me in this year. And you know what? A lot of us are not going to get out of 20, 2019 without losing somebody that's close to us either. Death is part of life in this world, quite unfortunately. 
That's why we need to let all our friends, all our family members, everybody know that Jesus Christ offers eternal life. Because there's a whole lot less pain when we lose somebody who knows Jesus. Because we know where they are. And so we need to do everything we can to make sure they know Jesus because he's taken the sting away from death and he's overcome the grave. Last one, when we're tempted to doubt, when we're tempted to doubt, God will still bring all his promises to pass. We just sang that song about all God's promises are yes and amen. And this is where it comes from. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Let me explain that one to you. Whatever God has said to you, whatever God has spoken to you, whatever he has promised you, it will come to pass because of Jesus and the work that he did. We can rest, we can have confidence, we can trust in the goodness of God and his promises to us because Jesus overcame everything that's coming against us. Everything that hates us, everything that doesn't want our success, Jesus overcame all of that. And so all God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And one day we're going to see him and one day we're going to know as we are known. And that's going to be a great day. I'm looking forward to that day. There are days that I cry out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, because I long to see the coming of Jesus Christ. I long to see my faith be made sight. And I can actually see what I have believed in for so long. We look forward to that day. And when we take communion, that's part of what we do. When we come to the Lord's table, it's not just to remember his death, burial, and resurrection, but it's also to remember he's coming again. And there's one day he's going to overthrow evil. He's going to come and set up his righteous rule and reign in this world. And I'm looking forward to that. I hope you're looking forward to that. If you're not looking forward to the day of Jesus' return, maybe that says something about your spiritual condition. Because it's a day that if I didn't know Jesus, I wouldn't be looking forward to that day. It's a day where every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. And we're going to know that he's God and he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. And I would not be looking forward to that day if I didn't know Jesus. But because I know Jesus, I look forward to that day. I look forward to his return. I look forward to him setting up his rule and reign in this world. And guess what? The Bible says we'll even get to judge angels. We'll judge angels and we'll judge nations because of Jesus and what he's done. That's what God is going to give us. He's going to give us the right to sit on the throne to reign with Jesus Christ. That's an amazing, I mean, when I think about who I am, and I think about who he is, that's an amazing thought to think that God is going to use us to judge this world. He's going to, we're going to reign with Jesus Christ. And when we take communion, we look forward to that. We also look backwards to the fact that Jesus gave his life for us. He laid his life down on the cross, God in the flesh. That baby that we celebrated that was born in the manger, I, I said this very recently. I said, boy, we make a big celebration out of Christmas. But it's really tough, and I know we have celebrations at Easter, but I said it's really tough to commercialize a man hanging on a cross. Really tough to make that into a commercial holiday because it's a sacrifice that we're all called to. It's a sacrifice that paid for our sins. Jesus Christ, dead, buried, resurrected for us. And when we take communion, we're reminded of that. We're reminded of the blood. We're reminded of his body separated from each other for us. We're also reminded that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Several years ago in this church, when we started going in more of a modern direction and changing some things in this church, I had a lady say to me, Brent, what would your grandma, if she was here, what would your grandma think of what you're doing in this church? 
And I said, well, let me tell you something. I don't know what she would have thought in, in this life, on this world. But I said, she's in heaven now, and she's looking over the side of heaven, and she's saying, go for it. Reach new people. Reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she's up there cheering me on. And the Bible tells us we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And when we take communion, we're actually reminded that there is a church that is here on this earth, but there is a church that is triumphant, and they've already entered into the presence of God. And they're there cheering us on. And they're there wanting us to run our race well and to let go of all the sin that easily besets us so that we can bring more people into the kingdom and more people can be in the presence of God when they pass from this world. And that's part of what communion reminds us as well. Church, we're family. We're family. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And just like families, we don't always get along and we don't always agree, but we are family through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're about to take a family meal. We're going to end this year that way, and we're going to look forward to the next year that way. We're about to take a family meal together, and this meal was bought and purchased by the blood of our big brother, Jesus Christ. We're joint heirs with him. He is our God, but he also entered into this world to feel the weight of what we feel, to take on our flesh without taking on our sin and to lay it all down for us. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to call the, the pastors, the ministerial students, if they want to come on up and get ready. We're about to take this meal together. I will tell you that if you don't know Jesus Christ, if he's not your Savior, then this meal is not for you, but it can be. It can be. This meal, if you, would, if you at this moment want to make a decision, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Jesus, I want to follow you. Then you can come right up and you can join in with the rest of the family if you'll put your, fa your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And this could be the first thing that you do as a Christian. And that would be amazing. Yeah, guys, come on up. We're going to ask you guys, we're going to give you just a little time to pray before we invite you to the Lord's table. We want you to come in the right spirit and in the right heart. And so if there's anything in your life you need to confess, any bitterness that you need to get rid of, maybe you have something against a brother or sister in Christ, maybe you have a grudge you're holding on to, I don't know. Confess that, release that, so you can come to this table in the right spirit and in the right attitude. We're going to take this meal together. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, we're going to actually do it um, by having you guys come down this aisle and this aisle. So if you'll come down there and if you'll circle back around to your seats and don't, don't leave when communion is over, we're going to worship and we're going to celebrate before we leave today. But if we can have some music in the booth back there, we just want some time to pray, some time to reflect. And then we will call you to the table of the Lord.
Father, we thank you so much for the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. We thank you that the blood was a symbol of the new covenant written in his blood. That we're not under the law anymore, but we are under the law of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. We, we pray that you would just bring to our minds right now the suffering that he underwent for us. The fact that he took our place and paid for our sin debt when we could not pay that debt. And God, we thank you that we have eternal life in him. We pray that you would bless these elements, God, that they would not just be a dead symbol to us, but God, you would give us grace to live for you. And God, if there's somebody here this morning that does not know you and they're not sure if they should come to this table or not, God, I pray that you would grant that faith would rise up in their hearts and they would believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that they would repent of their sins and turn from their sin and turn toward Jesus as the leader of their life, as their God, as their Savior. Father, thank you that we're able to take this family meal together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This side, if you will come to this aisle, and this side, if you will come to this aisle, please come to the first serving team that is open.
please stand and worship with us. trust you I don't need to
Amen. Thank you for being here and worshiping with us today. Come back next week and bring somebody with you. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you, even in the crushing and the pressing that, that might come up this year, God, tough times, you want to bring something new, something special, something amazing out of our lives. And so, God, we submit to everything you want. God, we submit to your hand. May 2019 be a blessed year, God, and may it be a, a year where we submit to your perfect will. Thank you for meeting with us today, God. You are so good, and we love you so much. We thank you above all for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.